So I'll start off with a brief introduction. So my current guest today has probably met more members of the British royal family than an American president. Has <laughs> done more adventure sports in the second half of his life than he's probably done in the first half. He is ex-military veteran. He has a very erroneous honour, which he will sure to touch on. Um, made his own documentary, author, writing a current book, Dad of Three, multi-medal winner, TV personality, podcast host, entrepreneur, and just an all-round... Oh, and he also works for the Royal Marines Charity as well. So our current guest is Mark Ormrod. And for the longest time, I had that R&M mixed up in my head. Oh, did you really? A lot of people do that. Do you know what someone called me once? What? Mark Hemroid. So mixing an M and an R is no big thing. How do you get to that? I have no clue. Absolutely no idea. I mean, it's, it's not like... I mean, my kids, uh, I've got one called Lachlan, so you get Latchlan, you get weird stuff. Or it's not like it's some weird Celtic spelling name, like Siobhan, spelled S-I-O-B-H-A-N. Yeah. Fireband. Like yeah. Uh, so, like, I've got notes here, and I mean, the last couple of days, he's trying to catch up and try to think of something different. So I have a buddy who used to be at Headley Court. Okay. It wasn't it your time at Headley Court. So I had a question is, what was your time at Headley Court right like? Because you're a bit of a, I'll say, a jokester or a trickster and like to have some fun. What was Headley Court like for you? Do you know what, right? Considering the reasons we were there, yeah. you know, for, for, those, for those people listening that, that don't know, Headley Court is a, a military, or it was until it shut down recently, a military rehabilitation centre um, that deals with anyone from a, a twisted ankle to becoming a tetraplegic. So if you go to Headley Court, basically it isn't for a good reason. Um, you know, you're facing some sort of adversity, some sort of challenge. So you would imagine that during your stay there, it it could be potentially quite miserable and like a, a black spot in your career, if you like. But I can honestly say that the, the I think, 14, 15 months that I spent there on and off were some of the best of my career. Um, and some of the stuff we got up to, oh, I'll never forget some of it. And it was, it was hilarious. It was funny. It is what got... 99% of us through our time there, the, the banter, um, you know, and, and the sense of humour and the camaraderie, you know, across all three services, not just for myself within the Royal Marine community, it's a tri-service establishment. So we got to mix and mingle with uh, men and women from all across the military, but it was hilarious. And, and there were pranks and there was fun. Um, and I can give you some examples if you like. <laughs> I'd love some, but I mean, I, some people know some more. I was only the Air Force, right? So I get some of that dark sense of humour. I'm also strong mm -hmm. to get that dark sense of humour. But I'm not sure a lot of the civic community will kind of 
understand where that comes from. Right. Right? So, I mean, give, give us an example of one of the... Something you probably shouldn't have been getting up to, but you did get up to. Yeah. So, in... The rehab centre was basically over two floors. Um, and so, because a lot of people there are in wheelchairs, there were lifts in the buildings. Now, there were two lifts, but there was a transition period where they were being fixed and upgraded. So there was only one lift in operation at any one time. The other one was being worked on and replaced. So, you know, things were a little bit slower, but we could only fit, I think there were maybe two wheelchairs in a lift and a handful of bodies. So one of the things that we used to do, you know, at the end of the day when everyone was tired and cranky and they wanted to get a shower and go for the evening meal, was we'd go up to the top, uh, whoever got in there first, and then when, before you sent the lift back down, it, one particular incident where me and some guys rolled the fish tank in there and then filled it with pot plants and wet floor signs and everything else we could grab our hands on so that when it went down, all the other guys couldn't get in the lift and use it. Um, so I had to wait for a member of staff to come down and remove the fish tank, remove the plants, remove the wet floor signs, everything else. Um, which meant that we got to the front of the, the scram queue and got the good food and they were 30 minutes late to eat in the evening. Um, another, another incident was, you know, as, as a triple amputee, I was the, at this point, I was the only triple amputee in the rehab center. So I was the only person with an electric wheelchair. And I used to be able to get at least four manual wheelchairs to hold the back of my electric one and I would motor through the hallways with this train grabbing onto the back of me and one of the lads had bought a megaphone uh, purely with the intention of pissing people off by, by shouting through it and annoying people and it had a siren on it like a like a police siren yeah so one day we were we were motoring down the corridor um, there's doors to the left, doors to the right, occupational therapy one side, physiotherapy the other, and he hits the siren on the megaphone and it starts whirling like a police siren. And all these bodies start piling out of these rooms thinking that it's a fire alarm and they've got to get out and there's either a real fire or there's a drill going on. And I saw this black garbage bag on the floor. <laughs> so I'm flying along at Mac 10 in his wheelchair and I aim towards this bag, I hit it, the whole thing exploded over one of the therapists, covered some of the guys behind me, and then we just fired on down the corridor with this siren blaring, just laughing. You know, <laughs> everyone with his banana skins and tins of beans flying through the air and all over the walls and doors. You know, so it's just things like that, really, just to keep morale high, to make the most of the situation, to, you know, help get each other through it and keep everyone smiling yeah yeah and i believe there's a you've got a very special anniversary just occurred in the last couple of weeks in regards yeah. to that thing the electric thing 10 years yeah. at your 10 years not to june just passed uh was 10 years since i got rid of that wheelchair and my manual wheelchair i don't own any there are none in my house I, I don't have access to any 
Uh, I ditched it on the 9th of June 2009 just to see how long I could go without it. And 10 years later, here we are still without it. You know, one of the best things I ever did. So what did that take? I mean, so for anybody, I mean, you've been in loads of podcasts, TV in the UK, but not so much in Canada. And I came across you when you kind of first went into the Invictus Games, and that's another story. But for the people that don't know your story, you touched on you being a triple amputee. And that happened Christmas Eve 2007. Yes. And how long, you had just re-upped at that point, had you not? You'd done your... I had, yeah. Yeah. You tried Savage Street. I did, very miserably. It was the jiving with you. Still doesn't huh? jive, does jive with me, you know what, situations. Still like, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And you decided to re-up, and then this, you with the Royal Marines, and they send you up Herrick 7? Correct, yeah. Was it 7? It was 7, yeah. So, what happens there Christmas Eve? So, you know, we, we were just approaching the halfway point of the tour, doing all of the, the usual things, what units and regiments prior to us have been doing. So, you know, manning, forward operating bases, patrolling the local areas, providing security for civilians, taking the fight to the enemy, dominating the ground, pushing out our area of responsibility, that kind of stuff. And that's what we've been doing for the first three months. Now, on Christmas Eve, uh, about four or five days before I was due home on R&R, we went out on another routine foot patrol. Things have been quite quiet, so there was no real need, I don't think, for us to go out. But we're very conscious that because we're always being watched, mm-hmm. any any disruption in activity, if you like, could be looked at as a sign of weakness and then, you know, the enemy will attack. So we went to get out on the ground just to show them we're still out there, getting boots on the ground and, and dominating that local area. And it was a very, very basic patrol. You know, to that point, we'd been going out for four, five, six hours at a time. We'd been pushing two, three, four miles out into our area, you know, looking for weapons caches and enemy, enemy positions and stuff like that. But all we had to do on this patrol was leave the, the back entrance of our camp in two sections. One would go north, one would go south, patrol the perimeter of the camp, meet back at the opposite end now at the front entrance, close things down, finish up, and then take two or three days R&R to enjoy Christmas. So there was no real, no real objective, if you like. It was literally just to be like, here we are, we're still doing this, even though there's not much going on. We're still going to get out there every day and, and do our job. So, you know, early Christmas Eve morning, we formed up by the rear entrance, the rear entrance of the camp, and we left. Are you in full kit at this? At this oh, full kit. So, regardless, it was just a wee short walk. Your full battle rig at this point. Oh, hundred percent. You know, and I used to carry some ridiculous kit, and I, I always thought. I'm okay carrying extra kit and being tired, but what I'm not okay with is carrying less kit and then running out of ammo or something that I needed if I needed it. Yeah. You know, so I used to weigh, it had to be close to 20 stone, including my body weight, you know? 
So for so, the North Americans, that you were you were about sixteen stone at the time, without any kit on, yeah, just my body weight, six feet two, yeah, and you're carrying an extra forty plus pounds, which is uh, twenty kilos. Yeah, weapons, ammo, uh, something called ECM, it's electronic countermeasures, which is used to scramble. Um, signals from people that want to remote, remote detonate IEDs, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, weighing a lot, but always prepared. Yeah. And we left in this patrol. We went out. It was very uneventful. About six hours went by. We found ourselves in a position where we were ready to secure the location at the opposite end of the camp and then go back in for the day. And my section was tasked with giving the other section we left with overwatch to, to protect them while they peeled back into the camp, then they would get behind the perimeter wall and they'd repay the favor. So as we were all up on this high feature that we found ourselves on, taking up five positions, I was like the last man to get into position. And it was when I went to get down onto my belly that I put my right knee on the floor and now on a detonated and improvised explosive device. And then the next part is Canada. Again, something a lot of people are not going to get is that you're fully conscious most of the time. I, yeah, I, I was I was conscious throughout the whole thing. Uh, I remember it. You've got your buddies running about you, and you credit one one young guy. I think you said eight weeks a basic training, like still getting the absolute shit ripped to him. Yeah. Just stops and says, no. And then clears an area with him and the rest of them before they come to you. What was that time like for you? Because you said you're conscious of this. It was, it was hectic. Um, it, it's hard to describe. Your, your internal world it's going at 150,000 miles an hour, but your external world is almost in slow motion. So your head's just going crazy with all these thoughts, feelings, observing everything. You're hypervigilant, your adrenaline spikes, you know, you're bleeding out in the middle of a desert. But when you, when you look around, it's almost like everything's in slow motion, you know, and it's, it's very surreal. It almost feels a bit like a dream, which is, um, you know, I guess it's your body's way of coping with it. Uh, but the guys I was with were phenomenal. You know, you, you all get given predetermined tasks before you go out on a patrol. Yep. And when you practice these things, you know, lads will mess it up time after time after time after time. But when the shit hits the fan and you need to get it right, they did it to perfection. And, you know, that lad you were talking about there, he was the closest one to me. He pulled a bayonet out, starts prodding the ground, clearing the safe route so when the medic gets to me, he can run straight in. Guys are already on the radio scrambling the medic. Other guys were uh, coordinating defensive positions in case there was a small arms follow-up attack. And everyone just did everything perfectly. No one let their emotions get the best of them, you know, because as a human being, what you want to do is run in and help your friend, but we're trained not to do that in case you set off any other devices. You know, and potentially hurt or kill yourself, yep. or hurt the heart and kill the casualty. 
So they all, you know, they kept their shit together, did what they were tasked to do, and that's why I got out of there so quickly and got the help that I needed so quickly. I think when we, one of the fields you're in just now is that whole, and I hate the idea of motivational speaker, because you can't motivate anybody. I love inspirational speaker, because you can inspire people, right? And you do a right. lot of talking and stuff like that, and I know you've been in the personal development field, and I know you love self-development. I thought I read a lot. Jeez. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, trying to be I'm not surprised, though. But there's that thing you were saying is about practice, that deliberate practice. And I, I don't think it's, again, that's something that civilians don't get from a military perspective, is, is that you practice stuff like that with your team time and time and time and time again. And mm-hmm. it's that statement. I don't know if something is credit to the seals, something is credit to the British. It's like you don't rise to the le- you don't rise to the level of your expectations, default to the level of your training. Right. It's just that classic example is, is that unless you're putting in the deliberate practice, that doesn't happen. Repetition is the mother of skill. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're doing it properly. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I, you know, I've watched the documentary and I'll post a link for that in here. It's absolutely amazing. Right? I mean, Thank you. your story, your honesty, uh, your journey through, through the rehab, through, you know, the determination is, I'll get to the point, it's, it, it's, it's superhuman. Because when somebody comes in and says, like, big man, you're not walking again. And he's supposed to be the man in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of just go to him and you say, fuck him. And say, no, I will. And decide to go on that journey. You know, and, I mean, I was looking at some of the timelines, like, you don't waste time. No. 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 There ain't no timelines in here. Um, it's like you joined the Marines at 16. Now, I've got a question for you in that one. 11 GSEs, okay. right? Yep. And you decide to join the Marines as uh-huh. a non commissioned junior rank. Why did you go for a commission? Do you know, when I was young, all I wanted to do was run around covered in mud with a knife in my teeth with my mates. <laughs> doing stupid shit, you know, in the trenches with the lads at the front, you know, fighting. And I thought, if I do that, get that on my system, do what I need to do, then maybe later on in life I could get commissioned. And I think now, you know, I'm 35 years old now, and I would be 18 years into my career, because I joined in 2001. Um... I think that's where I'd be now. I'd probably have commissioned to be an officer. You know, I haven't got all that alpha male macho stuff out my system. And then did something more with my head than with my bicep. Well, see, so there's, there's, a, there's a great segue. The head and the bicep. Uh-huh. So it looks like in some of your record, I mean, fitness has been like a major, major, major component of your recovery. Yeah. Um, at one point, I think you went into bodybuilding and you were chasing that six pack. 
Yes. Which worked out really well because the statue you and I can't remember the guy's name, I just checked my notes here. Ah, you know. It's Ben yeah, yeah. Dealey. Yeah, Ben Dunley, yeah. It's like something out of like a Roman museum. Yeah. Thank you. It's like one of the things is like if, if anyone's ever been to Greece and any of these museums and they see I normally, unfortunately, it's probably a torso, the sculpted aspect of it, that's your real body. You know, it, it was. It's, it's not. It's not been ransacked by some foreign invader and two thousand years later. You know, that's how you look, how thick you are. Like everything at that current moment in time is you. Uh huh. Other than the fact I don't think he's got a head because that's not a good part. That's, you don't. No. Yeah, I kind of need that. You need that one. But that's your fitness, and I notice you're wearing your my protein shirt. Yeah, you've been with these guys for what? Literally since the start of your recovery. No, no, probably, probably about four years. It's only four. Yeah, I think so. And these, I mean, you seem to be a big part of them. They're a big part of you. How did that relationship develop? It's through a friend, actually, another ex-marine. Um, him and his brother, he's got an identical twin brother. They were uh, my protein athletes a couple of years back and they in introduced me. And I went up to meet the guys, um, had a conversation, let them know a little bit about what I was about. Um, I guess they must have liked it and then they took me on. So it's just, it's been a massive help for me with, you know, loads of things with all my training and then with the Invictus Games, you know, because, um, just just to get through a normal day when you're a, a bilateral above the amputee, it takes between 300 and 500% more energy to do anything than an able-bodied person, which is why I take fitness and, and nutrition and that so seriously because I pretty much have to live like an athlete just to be able to get through a day. You know, and that's not when you start looking at walking through theme parks yeah. and going shopping and, you know, you're just expending all that energy all the time. You need to be hydrated and fueled right and rested well and just fit enough to be able to do it or else it's just miserable. So what's your calorie consumption like a day then, if it's that much? Because, I mean, like, I've seen some of your training and stuff, see the physical training side of things. What is it you call your garage? The amputee torture chamber. The amputee torture chamber. Yeah, so you're in there, in the CrossFit gyms, you were swimming and all these kind of things. What was your calorie consumption like at this point? Do you know what? I think it's it's now at a point where my body is so used to it that it's no different to what it was before. So I was tracking my macros a couple of months ago to try and lose a bit of uh, body fat. And I was taking in 3,000 a day when I was training. And it was fine. Um, I had no issues with it. I had energy, felt good. I was getting through the workouts okay. So, yeah, it's, um, I mean, back in the early days, you'd probably look at about five and a half to six, maybe. Because, you know, I was early on in rehab and it was so um, energy consuming just to, just to do anything. I was just tired all the yeah. time. And that was a big thing, actually. I had to really... Because back then, I didn't know so much. I thought, you know, if I'm tired, I'll just do some black coffee and Lucas said and Red Bull and I'll be fine. And then two o'clock in the afternoon... Which is what you would have done in the past. 
right. But then two o'clock in the afternoon, you end up in a coma and you can't wake up. Yeah. You crash. So I figured all that out, you know, dropped my carbs, up my proteins, um, and just, you know, tested and adjusted over the years to figure out what worked best for me on a, on a normal day. And do you carry that kind of knowledge into your family? I try to. I try yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I kind of just tell anyone. Bad eating habits. Oh, uh, do you know what? Like, so with the the whole statue thing, and you know, some photo shoots that I've done in the past, when you've got to lose the fat, I'll be honest, it's horrendous. Yeah. Like the way you have to prep your food, take it with you, count, uh, weigh it all out, eat at certain times, and you're just miserable, and you've got no energy, you're lethargic. That's one of the things I don't like about the fitness industry is all these, you know, six packs and crap on. You know, saying, oh, yeah, I just, you know, work out once a week and take this magic shake and this is how I look and it's all just bullshit. <laughs> it's just those people that look like that are miserable and they can't look like that all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's a good example. Is, I mean, your fitness was that rehab thing for the years. I mean, any time I see you in the gym and any of your posts, you're as happy as you get out, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, your chin strat at the end yet, but you're happy. Yeah, you're saying when you're having to do these things for, we'll see any kind of that modern perspective, it makes you miserable because it doesn't let you be you by the sounds yet. It becomes so restrictive. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember I did a photo shoot once for Men's Health, and it was up. I was up at my in-laws' house up outside London, and I was lying on the front room floor about ten o'clock in the morning, waiting for the photographers to turn up just nibbling on dry crackers because I had to be just as, as shredded as I could be. And I couldn't be bloated and I was just nibbling on crackers, feeling lightheaded, you know, just miserable. Just waiting, just like fantasizing about a cheeseburger when these guys left just to go and dive into a McDonald's or something. No, I know you do a lot of work with school as well and you, you go into schools and you talk to schools a lot. Do you tell them this, you know, but the realistic aspect of what you see within the social media realms and what the real world is like, just to kind of bring them back to reality, you know what I mean? I, I do sort of in, if the situation, I try to keep everything that I talk about, you know, at schools and, and online positive, but I'm I'm a big, not a hater, but I'm not a big fan of reality TV or any of this stuff because, you know, kids watch this now and they look up to these people and a lot of it is just fake and, and just rubbish, but they aspire to be like them because they're on TV, you know, and I, and I try and say, look, that's not life. You know, use your head. Don't go on some reality TV show where, you know, you hook up with this person and then the next minute you're in a newspaper because you've broken up and, you know, your daily life is a magazine article. That's not success, you know, and you'll be miserable doing it. You know, do something worthwhile that takes effort and energy and is positive and it'll make you grow as a person, you know? So for somebody that's written a book, done all this stuff in the Invictus games, everything you've been through, you just mentioned success. What is, that de- what is success for you right now? Just being a little bit better than I was yesterday. Because I and know you've been balance in 2019. Are you finding that? I mean, you see, yep. the end of 2018, he says, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to slow down a bit. I'm going to... Has that happened for you? Nope. 
not at all. But when you say, you know, what is success? For me this year, it's been about figuring out how to do that, to juggle that stuff in the most efficient way, which still makes me productive. So, you know, for example, I've been thinking about it for a long time. I finally bit the bullet and hired myself a virtual assistant. So with all the emails I get, you know, like you said earlier, I've got a full-time job with the Royal Marines Charity. That's my priority. But outside of that, I've got an email from my website. I've got a personal email. I've got my personal Facebook, my professional Facebook, a Twitter account, an Instagram account, a LinkedIn account. I run the charity's uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook accounts. Um, so I'm, I'm constantly bombarded all day with DMs, face, uh, emails, all that kind of stuff. But now I can filter a lot of it off to my virtual assistant, which saves me hours every week. Um, you know, it's, that, that's just a stranger. You know, being, I used to, like, the last couple of years, I'd be up at quarter past five in the morning, training, working, and I wouldn't go to bed till 11 o'clock every night, sometimes later than that, because the evenings are the only time I could do the emails, because yeah. I found that, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon when you're doing it, the minute you send one, you go on to the next one, the previous one pings you back, and you just constantly, you know, firefighting emails, and then, you know, before you know it, three hours have gone by. So I figured out a way to make that more efficient, my training more efficient. You know, like you said, right now I'm juggling. I've got my ghostwriter. She's around the corner in the house. We've been spending two weeks writing my next book. She's got another two weeks of that to do. I've got some other projects on the go, which are really exciting. You know, all after the nine to five job. Yeah. And you're including your speaking gigs. Exactly. You know, they're still coming in thick and fast now. You know, I've just had a, 95% locked in a six talk thing next in February, which is two weeks of my time taken up. But in that two weeks, I've still got to be working. I've still got to be doing other things, um, social media, marketing, all that kind of stuff. I'm just trying to figure out all of that right now, how to make that as efficient as I possibly can. And you're a dad and a family man and always have been. So how are you balancing that? Balance is the wrong word here. I can't, I'm struggling to find a good one for how do you make time for that side of it, for the family side, when you have got a schedule and you're dedicated to it? I mean, you're dedicated to the Royal Marine side. I mean, you're still part of that whole brotherhood. But you're also carrying on all that kind of messaging um, and changing lives everywhere. You know, how do you then get your balance back into the family side? And I said, I threw balance in again and I didn't want to. So one of the things that I'm, I'm very fortunate um, in my job is very flexible. So I only have to be in the office on a Monday. Uh, the rest of the, the time I can work remotely because it, it isn't my role effectively isn't a nine to five. So, you know, one day I could be working in the office on a Monday from nine to five, but then Saturday I could be in London at fundraising dinners till two o'clock in the morning. You know, but that that's all part and parcel. So it's a very flexible job where I can still do, you know, I, I try to do two two school runs a week. I did, you know, I was doing it today, put the kids up today um, and fit all of that in. But also, you know, we're very fortunate in, in the day and age that we live in. And I think, it, you know, being a disabled person, we couldn't 
I've wished for a better day and age because everything's so accessible and easy. You know, I'm lying in a beanbag right now in the UK talking to you over my laptop at it's 25 to 8 at night here. I don't have to come to a studio in Canada and sit across the table from you to have this conversation with you. Though, so, maybe, maybe one day when I force you to take up <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I think, that's, I think that's maybe a new challenge for you because, you know, you seem like that. Um, for people that don't know, I was listening to an interview you gave maybe earlier on this year. And okay. so from a sportsman's perspective, you, you decided to invict this games. And I think you've said that you're not doing another one. As a no, sport, I'm not. As a sportsman. Because right. you got to the Invictus what you needed. What mm-hmm. was it you needed? Invictus, Joe Beddows. Ah, rubbish. It wasn't about the medals. <laughs> so here, here's the thing, right? When I first started that journey in 2017, one of the messages that kept on coming out time and time and time again at all the camps and all the training sessions was that every single athlete had their own individual definition of what success meant. Mm-hmm. So for some people who have maybe post-traumatic stress or anxiety, it could just be coming to the training camp and being around other people. And there were people that turned up on the first day that they ever been to training camp and slept in their cars because they didn't have, you know, they didn't have it in them to get out and, and share a room with somebody and mix. So just to go through the process, and to have attended camps, made new friends, and did a bit of sport was success for them. For other people, it was, you know, I want to beat my personal best. I want to every every count improve a little bit, improve a little bit, improve a little bit. And then on the day of the race at the games, you know, I don't care about the medals. I just want to get my personal best. But for me, it was winning medals because that is how I define me being the best person in me, you know, with a with a gold medal. Um, and that, that's just my mentality. It's, it's been like this since I was a kid. You know, I've just got to be in, if I'm in the fight, you know, I've got to be winning it. So that's what drove me on, you know, was uh, just pushing for that hardware. Uh, for any Disney, and I was like, again, looking at timelines, when you join the Royal Marines, they don't know. You swim. You have to be able to swim. It's part of your basic training, isn't it? You have to qualify in certain aspects of swimming. Yes. You have a battle swimming test. Yeah, battle swimming test. That's with all your clothes on, a bunch of gear. And... Weapon, webbing, uniform. You've got to jump off a diving board, tread water, pick bricks up off the bottom of the swimming pool, that kind of stuff. But you decided in 2016, if I get the number right, is that you hadn't been in a pool since your accident to just start swimming again? Like, like go old school and chuck yourself in a pool and then go the next year to the Invictus Games and win a medal? No, so it was, probably, it was probably about 2012, actually. Yeah. And I went to the swimming pool. It was on a naval camp. And I was the only one in it. And there was a lifeguard sat in the office, just reading the magazine, chilling out. That's the normal Right, so I, I jumped in the swimming pool and I just started swimming down, literally straight down the centre from the shallow end to the deep end. And I got to, if you imagine a set of crosshairs above a swimming pool, pretty much 
bang on the center of this swimming pool. And I realized that I was, I was getting tired. So I let out a breath to take another one in, which when I had my limbs was fine. That was never any cause for concern there. I just carried on swimming. But this time with no legs and only one arm, when I let my breath out, I sank like really quickly. And I couldn't figure out why. And, and I, you know, again, like I said earlier, everything in my head was going at 150 mile an hour, but everything around me was like slow motion. And I started to drown. And I was like, there's no one else in this pool and the lifeguard's not paying much attention. So as I went under, I flicked my head back to look at the ceiling and managed to get some air in my lungs through my nose just as it was going under the water. And that kept me buoyant. And so I just, I don't know, instinctively, I guess, just held my breath. I thought I need to keep my breath because held because this is keeping me buoyant and slowly dragged myself to the side of the pool, got out and was like, I'm not doing that again. I tried myself off and didn't go back in the pool for a couple of years. But the next time is in preparation for the Invictus Games, all right? Yes, yeah. And I think you see this is that you decided, as in Mark Onrod fashion, is that another brother who's going to have a race on his own, if he can't actually race on his own, you're like, Rob, that, can I go? Yeah. And decide to go and join him. And then beat him, though. Yeah. Um, I felt a little bit bad about that. But, um, you know, he's a, he's a great guy. So what happened was, in, you know, we became friends in Canada in 2017. And in 2018, I was watching the swimming prelims because i'm in such a small disabled classification we didn't have to do prelims we just went straight to the final and there are a lot of brits in the australian military and i was good friends with one of the coaches neil who whose parents literally live six miles from my house where i am now and we were chatting and you know like i said i've been friends with gary from the previous year the guy i swam against and I said, oh, what, what races is Gary in? He said, oh, 50 meter freestyle, 100 meter freestyle, 50 meter backstroke, you know, this, that, the other. He was doing them all. Um, and I think the last one he said was 50 meter breaststroke. And I was like, damn, he's going to be tired. And Neil turned around and said, yeah, they're probably going to cancel the 50 meter breaststroke though because he's the only one in it. I said, what do you mean cancel it? Surely that just means he wins a gold medal. And they're like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. If there's only one person, they'll cancel it. If there's two, they'll only give out a gold medal. If there's three a year, they'll only give out a gold and silver. But if there's four, they'll give out a gold, silver, and bronze. So I was like, this is the day before the finals. So I just said, well, listen, go speak to the judges. And if it's not too late and then they said I can join, then I'll jump in. Just because, you know, he's trained for it. And there's thousands of people sat up in the stands coming to watch some races. You know, we'll give them the race, you know, a race that they came to see. So they came over, they came back and said, yeah, they're happy with that. So I turned up the next day and there was a, a 25 meter practice pool. So I jumped in it and thought I better figure out how to breaststroke. Started doing it the old way. I would have done it with two arms and ended up going in a circle. And then figured out some kind of hybrid doggy paddle breaststroke thing that seemed to pull me forward and seemed to work. So I did, I think, 25 meters of that 
no, maybe 50, maybe two lengths of that. And then jumped in the pool and raced. And uh, yeah, it was it was mega close. I think it was only there was only 0.03 of a second in it. You know, it was really close. But I managed to just just pip into the post, and, uh, pick up the gold. So that was one of your goals that you chasing. Yeah. So I think you see you got you fancy going to the Hague, just as a spectator. Yes. Have you ever considered being an Invictus Games ambassador in the commentary and all that? Well, I actually am uh, an ambassador. They rolled out an ambassador program this year, uh, and I'm, I'm one of about 25 who attend training camps, uh, mentor the new guys. You know, I've been speaking to people over the phone the last couple of weeks who have major anxiety issues, who don't know what to expect, and they're worried about coming to camps. So just talking to people like that over the phone, and then just representing uh, the games as, as a former athlete. I don't think there's any commentary or any of that kind of stuff involved in it if that came up I'd probably have a go but um, at the minute it's just you know turn up help the athletes I I don't do any coaching I'm not qualified in any of that but just a bit of mentorship really yeah I've got a friend here uh, Bruno Groovermont and he was team captain for Canada for the first time and he's okay and does the whole he was Certainly, yeah, I did the commentary stuff. Okay. I mean, if, if an opportunity comes up, then I'll take it. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can get some data there and, you know, get you there getting the commentary. Yeah, we'll see. I'll get to hang about with the boys and have your beer. Oh, yeah, of course. So, I've got a couple of questions for my kids, right? So, they, they know who you are, right? So, one of them actually is, how does your legs work? Oh my god! Um, How did they bend? Because you know they've they've seen your injuries. We talk about it, and we talk about different things. Like, and the what first? How does he how does he bend his legs? They're they're very technical. I have a a baseline understanding of how it all works, but there's a lot of technology in there. So there is there's Bluetooth, there's a CPU, there are sensors in the toes and the heels, there's hydraulic pistons in the back of the knees. Um, there's all sorts of different bits and pieces, components, like you can switch out the feet and have different kinds of feet. Um, you add things to the knee, like rotators, so you can you know, spin around and, and twist them and all this kind of stuff. But basically, there are, so there's the sensor in the heel and a sensor in the toe. It sends to like 150 signals a second back to the CPU, which is in the back of the knee. Okay. And they know, they know if you're walking on concrete, grass, sand, gravel, and all those signals that get sent back to the CPU help the leg to readjust to give, give you stability and keep you more stable and reduce your chance of falling. Um, there's, a, there's a gyroscope in these legs I've got now, which is, from what I've been told, is what pilots, um, it's what they use for the autopilot on planes. So that can tell where the leg is in, in space and time, if you like, it's just stood up, which again, assists you as a user and helps you stay more stable and you know i recently came back from america and got a complete upgrade um they, they used to if you change your legs before you would need i guess you could call it a hardware upgrade and you buy brand new legs and they'd have all the software in them but now yeah. it's just like an iphone you just plug them into a computer you update all the the rule sets and the settings 
and you just upgrade the software. So I've got an app now on my iPhone which connects to my legs, and I've got a quite a high level of control of function through an app on my iPhone. Uh, it's just it's pretty crazy, and it's just getting more and more advanced. So is that where the kids get to call you Iron Man? Is that where that one comes from? <laughs> exactly. But hopefully, I'll start flying soon, but we'll see. So, uh, yeah, you, you want to go in that jetpack suit, don't you? I've, the guy's actually emailed me about it. He's the guy from Gravity, the CEO of Gravity. Yeah. I've been in contact with him about um, testing that pack out. So I'm just waiting to hear back from him. So that was that one. And I was, I was on the whole Iron Man thing there. And I've lost track when I went to the whole Gravity suit. I was like, that would be so cool. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. Um. What was, what was one of the most the hardest experiences you've had with your new legs? Like, Sorry, one of, the, one of the most what? Hardest experiences. Like, so through all the teaching and all the learning and all the rest, what's one of the most difficult things that you still find to do? Do you know what? I kind of liken prosthetics to like skateboarding or BMX or whatever. There, there's certain things you can do what you would class as, as tricks. So like walking downstairs mm-hmm. with above knee prosthetics without using a handrail. You know, sometimes you can do it, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you could drop down 18 of them without touching the handrail. Sometimes you struggle with three. You know, most of the time now, I'll, I'll just use a handrail if it's there. Because like I said, it's just like a trick. You know, it looks great on video, but... The reality is you don't do that all the time. Yeah. Right? I, I struggled quite a lot with stairs in the beginning, coming down them, because it, it's, it's terrifying when you first start it, and you're still at the top of a flight of 12 stairs looking down. You know, with, you've got no knees. You've got limited control over what those knees can do. And you've got to put all your faith into them because you just got to know that they'll be there to support you as you're going down, and, that, and that's very hard to do. So I struggled with that in the beginning, but it was just purely the energy consumption in the early days is every day being tired. And it's still a little bit like it now, you know, as I get older, if I've been walking around all day, getting in and out of a car, going to meetings, I don't know, jumping on buses, trains, whatever, carrying bags, dragging suitcases through airports, you know, it, it just zaps you and wipes you out. Yeah. I think you said at one point in one interview, if you want to even comprehend even slightly what it's like is try walking on your knees with your feet tied to your ass and one hand tied right. behind your back. Right. Yeah. You need to start to even think about it and go yeah. do that audio. Or if you want to get an idea, you know, that, that would be from a, a frustration point of view, I think, from seeing how slow you are and how difficult things are. But if you want an energy expenditure point of view, literally get out of bed in the morning and then jog on the spot and then run into the bath and brush your teeth and jog while you're brushing your teeth and then jog in the shower and then jog down to the car and, you know, and just keep everywhere you go all day, just keep jogging on the spot, give a presentation for an hour, but do it while you're jogging on the spot. And then by the end of the day, you're going to know what it feels like to walk around with two above knee prosthetics. So hold on then. So, if, and that's what it's like in your calorie consumption is way up there and you're, you're dialed and in your fitness. How do you know what to bed then? to half 10, 11 o'clock at night and still get up at five. Because I'm smart. 
I'm thinking out. So I do. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. I read a lot, and I got into a little while ago life hacking. Yeah. So figuring out ways to work smarter, not harder, and, and to mm-hmm. live your life at a higher level. So sleep was one of the most important things, and yeah. what I took from a lot of things I was listening to was that it wasn't about quantity, it was about quality. Yeah. So, you know, things that we went and got blackout blinds upstairs in all the rooms, so it's as dark as it possibly can mm-hmm. be to block any street lights, any neighbours' lights or anything like that from coming in the room. Um, me, personally, I like a, a very firm mattress, so I, I throw loads of planks of MDF under my bed, so my mattress is super hard, so I sleep more comfortably on there and I can drop asleep easier. I've listened to, you know, meditation sometimes before bed to help me drop off. I'm actually now looking now, um, a couple of the light bulbs upstairs have all blown. So I'm looking at replacing them with uh, not red light because I don't want my house to look like a brothel, but I, I think I think they're called incandescent lights. Yeah, old is, school. Yeah, so it's not there's this bright white or blue LEDs what keep you awake because they 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 um they numb the yep. melatonin production yeah. which makes melatonin, which makes yeah. you sleepy. Yeah. So you know things like that. I I, I bath with Epsom salts which helps me. Oh, that is old school. Yeah, but if I have any little rubs or anything, it, it helps repair my skin quick and it, it softens my body up. It relaxes me, so I get a good six hours of quality sleep rather than nine hours of crap. Yeah, you know, I'm, so a, can... I'm an insomniac, sir. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like for 28 years, I can't eat anything to fix it. No? Been through all Have that. Read, read my book? <laughs> well, I, 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 I can I take you. No, I, I can get, no, I haven't read your book, to be honest. Um, but I, on your book, so where I was going to go, you broke your hand recently. Oh, yeah, I did, yeah. And it kind of laid you up, but I, I have a question for me, right, and it's, it's kind of off the wall, is I was likening you at the time for your recovery, less like Iron Man and more like Wolverine. Right. Because the recovery in that, as if somebody who's broke a hand when I was younger, similar leg, like, through here, pinned and all the rest, I know what that recovery's like. No, right. Weird thought is you are mega fit, right? So there's that in your favor. Mm-hmm. But perspective is, is that the healing power of your body is now concentrated in a smaller area, right? You've still got the same functionality if you're a healing perspective, you know, cardiovascular system, all that kind of positive. It's like does it help you heal quicker? Do you do you find in some aspects that you don't get as sick? And that was really odd in the whole superhero thing because the Iron Man and the Superman and the Batman that you like. I was like, maybe like Wolverine, particularly with your new game. Right. You know what, right? I don't know if that is true. Um, but what I experienced was was kind of the opposite. Because, and I was thinking about this, you know, most days, like if an able-bodied person broke their hand, they've got their other hand, right? And they're not walking around on their ass cheeks, pushing with their hands to get around the house and they haven't got their legs on, they're walking, 
So their hands constantly rested. Yep. Mine, never, mine, mine never got to rest. I was always, you know, bum shuffling around my house, using my hand to push myself around. When I eventually got my legs back on, I needed to put weight through my hand to stand up from chairs, from cars, from the bed. I was still typing. You know, I still had to work. So I was doing emails and everything, using my hand for that. Eating, drinking, it's all putting weight through it. So it was actually getting less rest than it should have, which I think helped. But going back to the life hacking thing, what I did was I, I ended up sleeping in my daughter's room um, because I didn't want the kids coming in our bed at night and knocking it. But I made sure that I got between eight and 10 hours sleep every night. I was doubling up on fish oils, magnesium, zinc, drinking protein before bed, you know, just so that when I was getting that rest and recovery and that good sleep, mm -hmm. that nutrition was going through my body at night as well, just to make me heal quicker. I was, I was listening to meditations about healing, um, just focusing my mind completely on getting better. Because I'll be honest, it scared the shit out of me. I, I was mm -hmm. so scared that I thought it wasn't going to heal that I just went to extreme lengths to try and make sure that it did. Just every day, all, all I'd do is I'd lie on the door for 20 minutes at a time when everyone was out of the house with my earphones on and just find these meditations about healing and just focus on it getting better. So for areas, listen, this isn't woo-woo shit. <laughs> no. This is coming from a guy who's been in Afghanistan, been in combat zones and all this. Listen to healing meditations. Yep. You know, and you've recovered it is, though, I mean, it's fast. For what it was, I mean, for somebody that really didn't get through an immobilization of the injury, is it was what less than five weeks, and then you go and be a right prick about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're going to say. I posted on Instagram, and I was like, "No, no," and it's like, "No, mm -hmm. other arm," and I think that's back to that sense of humour thing. It's like, I'm like, no, he hasn't done that again. Oh, my God. Because I was thinking about you, because I'd be mourning your story through your five weeks and, or six weeks, and I'd known, you know, listen to you, what it was, you know, how you'd been feeling and stuff. And I thought, that's got to really fuck your head up. I never yeah. went for that you were coming at. And then it's like, right. Ah, me. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I was back in the gate. I was just so pleased. You know, I got back in the gym two days ago. I was just so pleased that I had that feeling back again that you have when you, when you finish a good workout. Um, so just felt, you know, like sharing a joke with someone. Yeah, I shared it in the world. And the point is that I, I was scrolling through your Instagram feed yesterday. I thought I could pull some faces. Oh, yeah? Oh, my God. I was like, I started counting and I went, okay, no, I, I just stopped. I was like, no, I'm not even going to count them. It's like, is that the kind of personality you bring just to about everything then? Yeah, I try to. You know? So how, yeah. embarrass how embarrassing are you to your kids? How what, sorry? How embarrassing are you then to your kids? Oh, you know, that <laughs> embarrassing. Well, I see you've got some people hanging about. I know what time it is over there. Um, okay. I've got a ton of stuff I love. New book. Yes. Uh, so you've got the manuscript done. You've got it submitted. Is, are the drafts submitted? Is that right? 
I'm going to find out as soon as I hang up this phone call. And it's called Man Up? Not yet. We've got Not a couple yet. of working titles for it. Oh, We've got a couple of working titles. Yeah. And when do you hope that to be published? All going well? Before Christmas, in time for Christmas. Right. Um, you know, and I can kind of play on the whole Christmas Eve anniversary thing. I wouldn't say it's played on. I think it's well-deserved. It's marketing. Yeah. Smart marketing. Smart marketing, exactly. You know. All right, sir. Well, thank you very much again. Uh, best of luck with your book. Best of luck with everything. And I'll keep following, and I'll get this posted soon. All right, perfect. Thank you. All right, Mark. Thank you very much. Take care. All right, man. Take care. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.